0: Hi and welcome back to another episode of Filmmaker's Cookbook, a podcast where we turn your favorite films into recipes. And also we help you expand your cinematic diets. I'm one of your hosts, the less special one, Michelangelo, and I'm joined by always the more spectacular of hosts. That's me. Uh, yeah, i yeah. just, just curious. Okay, okay. Yeah,
1: yeah. Hi, I'm Charles. Welcome to Filmmaker's Cookbook. We have a great episode for you this week. Yeah, it's about drum roll. I'm adaption. expecting you to edit a drum roll. The
0: adaption that's Woo. what I want. Yeah, <laughs> yeah.
1: So adapting your story to film, mm-hmm. and in honor of that, we watched Adaption, the 2002 movie with Nick Cage.
0: But I think yeah. we'll have to take a few steps back because, as always, we're going to do a little series of shotgun reviews our concession impression segment of the episode where we're going to review our some films that we watched and tv shows and other things that we've watched recently between the episodes give our reviews and we'll give you a a new ranking that we've just going to add new to this episode see new things happen every episode of this show we're gonna be adding in a new system of does this film expand your cinematic diet and we'll get into that in a second but the reason why we're talking about adaptions is because we both watched something recently which we're going to talk about shortly that made us think about adapting things series and whatnot So a little you know little teaser about what's going to be happening later without diddling or daddling let's just jump right into this episode and review some things how does that sound chase isn't it dillying or dallying i don't know i make things up (laughs) as i go diddling is a different thing (laughs) okay whoops all right concession impression time what films have you or tv shows have you watched recently uh i want to start us off here because i'm sure you watched more than me sure
1: so to begin with i'll start with the thing i saw most recently and i guess we'll move backwards because that's how i've written it in my list here okay So I saw It Lives Inside, which is a new movie that's just come out to theaters in the past week. It's about a, it's a horror film, but the kind of new thing with it is that it's set with a Indian family and based on Indian lore, which is really interesting. I actually had the opportunity to see it with the director and a couple of the actresses that Ooh, are in what? it yeah I saw it they uh, invited with them. you no they did not <laughs> no. invite me it was it was a screening I paid for gotcha. they just happened to have like a and a after Oh, that's so cool. Um, yeah. So we heard the director kind of talk about it, kind of talk about his intentions with it and how he really just kind of wanted to make like an Indian flavored monster movie. And that's, that's basically what it is. And I gave it like a popcorn, like like, like a solid popcorn, not like the most amazing popcorn, but just like solid. All right. A solid um, three out
0: of four. Okay. I, I, I Now here's the thing. I've only heard one thing about this film recently, and one of my best friends, he went to go watch it recently, and he said it was better than Talk to Me. Really? Other other
1: movie? I disagree, but I still think this is a worthwhile movie to see. I thought Talk to Me was more innovative but this movie it kind of depends on your horror taste i guess too because like talk to Me* is more of like a psychological horror which is more my taste this is really more of like a monster movie which i do love monster movies but this movie doesn't it doesn't feel as profound to me or intelligent i have to say listening to the director talk about it made it feel even less profound and less intelligent not because he wasn't Intelligent or profound in what they were, he was attempting to do. It's just he started citing some of his inspirations for it, mm-hmm. and it started kind of like peeling some of the layers away from the movie a bit. Because I could see, oh, this is just directly from this other oh, movie. Oh, <laughs> I see. So, like for instance, the monster is literally the same exact design as Pumpkinhead, which is another monster movie. Gotcha. Okay. And like it looks identical. Did he mention Pumpkinhead? He literally mentioned that, yeah, as like a direct inspiration for the film. And I was like, okay, okay, (laughs) I see it. (laughs) But, you know, it's cool. It has some really nice things about the story. And the fact that the lore is built into Indian culture is really cool. And you learn a little bit about Indian culture. I actually thought this movie would make a really compelling Monster of the Week TV series. But like all based in like Indian lore.
0: Interesting that'd be cool
1: to move on to our new score our cinematic diet score i would say yes it does expand your cinematic diets because okay it expands it in a cultural way mm. in that i've never seen an indian horror film and now i have and so that's cool so i re- totally recommend it based on that
0: alone cool what else cool. you got on your list
1: oh you want me to go next i was gonna ask oh, sure. you
0: what you've seen okay thank you what
1: what have you seen this show's not all about me
0: so it's mostly else, about me, yeah, yeah, but it's not yeah. all about me. True, true. So I guess I'll take it back a little bit, Chevalier. I think it's a very interesting story. I mean, true story, Is it so it's, you know, that's interesting. I just feel like it didn't quite hit the mark and I wish there were be other attempts to tell his story, but after seeing how well it did at the box office, I doubt it'll ever have a chance again. I think it had like a 100 million budget and it made like 10 million. But I think I was so interested to learn more about this character, but I feel like the film didn't teach me really anything about this character. It was more focusing on like the French Revolution, I thought, or like this love story that kind of is like, do we know this is true or not? I don't know. Like I want to know who this person is more. Anyways, I would give it a two. So I would give it a hot dog, mainly because I do like his type of film but I think it just didn't quite it wasn't satisfying enough just like a hot dog in a movie theater.
1: Would you say it was a failure to adapt a historical source to to film?
0: Uh, I think so it just didn't quite encompass the character I don't know it just it just didn't feel like it quite hit the mark there.
1: I also saw that movie uh, when it came out so I'm trying to remember everything about it okay the thing that I remember specifically about it was and actually I've, I've watched this movie recently Amadeus it feels a lot like Amadeus but like not yeah right? not as just as watch Amadeus amazing which is unfortunate like yeah yeah,
0: yeah. no no exactly that's how I completely feel like I feel bad saying bad things about it because I so much hoped for it to be a good film it's like it's a great story but it just like it missed it to this to the point where it doesn't expand your cinematic diet at all but yeah so that's what i got all right anyway. all right what right. What'd you got what would you got next one
1: i saw a double feature of saw and saw 2
0: interesting just okay. in time for saw 10 oh my gosh i haven't watched a single saw film so how was There's... watching saw 1 and 2 so I'd
1: never seen Saw 2. I've seen Saw 1 before, and Saw 1 is really good. I really like it. For for like a low-budget horror film that basically creates its own category, right? Like before Saw, I don't know if we had the what is appropriately deemed the torture porn genre. <laughs> mm. I don't know if we had a bunch of those before or were as popular before Saw. Now we have lots of those. <laughs> so Saw like i i think the thing that is so great about the saw franchise is it's really philosophical at the heart of it like the whole point of it is that the people who are being tortured are people who are misusing the lives they had and so saw who is this kind of compelling character because he has been dying of cancer for like however many years (laughs) decades now (laughs) he's always at death's door supposedly his whole thing is that like he went mad because he's losing his life unfairly and then he's upset that all these people are you know not using their life for what it's worth or whatever so Mm -hmm. i think
0: they're popcorn
1: films i think they're great both I think they're popcorn
0: good. for both one and two
1: for both one and two and as a double feature they work really well together because because gotcha. uh, the second one expands this narrative idea and it, it's like a really good sequel
0: okay are you planning on watching three through nine before ten comes out god no <laughs> okay <laughs> i don't gotcha. think
1: any of them are nearly as good although i was happy to watch the saw two because it looks like in saw ten the female
0: character plays a big role do these films expand your cinematic diets? I
1: would say they do because of its, like, relationship to this whole new subcategory of the horror genre.
0: Like, gotcha. it's just,
1: it's it's the film for that subcategory.
0: Yeah, yeah. I, I can see it. I think it really, because, like, even though I never watched the films, I've heard of them. And I know that how big they are within the, like, horror franchise. So, I would say that they definitely do in some way expand your cinematic diet by like kind of that spark of some kind of even if it was there were some of those like types of films, it definitely sparked that whole subgenre into it like popularity in this last I don't know how many years it's been since that first one came out, ten, fifteen years I'm I'm assuming. But yeah. yeah. Cool. All I, right.
1: Also for any filmmakers out there who wanna make their first feature film saw one is a great example of how to do it small budget small location small group of characters but like maximum impact
0: cool should we s- d- continue piggybacking and like i take the next one or yes what, okay. did, what did you see all right so i, I watched blue beetle did you watch mm-hmm. it? you know it's kind of hard more or less give a ranking on this film because i don't know if i care anymore about dc <laughs> films currently but, you know, I was trying to give some some thoughts behind this film. So Blue Beetle, it was, I wouldn't say good, but in comparison to the other DC films, the other DC, like, EU, DCU films, it was good. But it was just like, it's the same thing you've seen Thirty times already with like a superhero origin story with the same villain. It had the same problem as all the other DC films with like comes to like a CGI slugfest at the end, and it just like you know you could have changed the title to like Shazam or anything else, and it been the same story pretty much. However, I will say that this one was better than a lot of those other ones. It just was like I I don't care. Really about here, well, the same story over and over again, with just a different skin.
1: Yeah, I, I I agree. When I left the theater, I wrote notes on it, and I think I wrote down "paint by numbers," superhero film. And oh, it's very interesting. much that. Yeah, it is. It very much is. Like, it's the classic tale straight from 2010, and I think that's why it actually is better than a lot of the current DC movies, because the current DC movies are trying so very desperately to like manufacture something innovative whereas this one it feels like it didn't even try mm-hmm. it just went straight for the like what what they know will work and be emotionally cathartic uh-huh. with a like basic like kid plucked from obscurity gets superpowers defeats an enemy that it represents their you know struggles and then wins in the long run like that's that's like the classic superhero triumph there right there so i i, I agree with everything you just said it 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 works it's effective but it's uh, sort of boring
0: <laughs> i would give it a two out of four which would be hot dog just barely a two I, I would have given it a one but i think at least it was better than like especially after watching the flash i think it was better than the flash in my opinion a lot however does it expand our cinematic diet i would say absolutely not
1: i agree with you again I gave it a hot dog, and I also don't think it expands your cinematic diet. Even though, like, it is sort of a Latin American hero, which is kind of new-ish. Like, we've had Mm -hmm. other Latin American heroes now, and I think better Latin American heroes. Especially because this one's, like, set in a distant, or in a near future, so it's not even, like current latin american issues i don't know it just it it just doesn't quite work i mean it it just works that's actually what it is it's not that it doesn't work it's that it just works but it's it's the most expected straightforward superhero film you've probably seen in like 15 years
0: all right well let's stop dilling or daddling on this one <laughs> well now and... we've moved from from diddying to dillying
1: to daddying <laughs>
0: yeah no more daddying on this one uh and let's go to the what what else you what else you got
1: so i saw spartacus the uh that old movie uh, the old movie by stanley kubrick and it was you know amazing it's stanley kubrick it's always great except for his very first film don't don't even bother watching his very first film okay in my opinion if you don't know Spartacus is is a movie about a Roman slave who becomes a gladiator and then leads a revolution against the emperors of the Roman Empire and ultimately loses but it's you know a great exploration of freedom and of this character named Spartacus who is kind of this ideal heroic figure and it's really well crafted it's a very simple, simply told story. But I think it's it's told in a profound way. And I think every filmmaker needs to watch it at some point. Gotcha. So I give it a peanut M&M's. It's definitely not overrated. It is okay. great. And then I think it does expand your cinematic diet, even though actually probably every, every movie that you can think about that is similar to... It's definitely inspired by it. Like you could think of like the movie Gladiator, very much obviously inspired
0: by it. Wait, really quick question. Is Kirk Douglas related to Michael Douglas? I
1: think it's his dad.
0: Wow. they. I was thinking they kind of look, they look alike. So they have the dimple.
1: <laughs> yeah. It's really well casted. It's a thing that people forget to think about when casting nowadays is faces that are like really memorable mm. and distinct, which I, eventually you kind of figure it out and it's not a big deal. It's only... okay.
0: Well, I will have to say one thing that's slightly embarrassing for this podcast, especially for someone who uh, I'm someone who's trying to help other people expand their cinematic diet. I have never fully watched Spartacus, so I will have to go and actually watch it. But are you Spartacus? I, I am Spartacus. Okay. Good. Okay. Yeah, I, I know. Th- I meet. know. I know the main parts of it. So what have you seen? Uh, what else I got? I have my last film for today is going to be a little film called Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles. Mutant Mayhem. Mutant Mayhem. I will say, as a fellow Michelangelo, that Michelangelo or Michelangelo Turtle is hands down the coolest. I don't know if you noticed this. I mean, you probably haven't. You know, this is something that maybe a Michelangelo from one Michelangelo to another kind of maybe notices. But his character was hurt the least and was the most cool, you know, just ob- objectively was the coolest turtle. What what weapons does he have? He has the nunchucks. Oh, OK, he, he's the one with anger issues. No, that's Raphael. Oh, that's Raphael. Have, wait, did you watch this movie? I did I just I can't remember which one is which They, they all bleed together for me my review for this film I think it's really cool is like the animation and everything like that it was really fun it was a great film but I feel like it was in putting this into food terms it felt like a dish that was really tasty and good for you but then the chef got like scared about if it's gonna taste good or not good enough so then they, like, added a bunch of salt and a bunch of other things to it. And then when they gave it to you, it's like, oh, this is still good, but it, like, it kind of has too much stuff in it now.
1: They overseasoned it.
0: Yeah, it was, like, an over dish. Because, like, I think that the four kids, the four kid actors who play the four turtles, and then, like, Jackie Chan playing their, like... F- adopted father was like a fun dynamic characters and everything and then like the student reporter girl like she was also really fun i don't think you need to bring in like seth rogan and john cena and like who else was in there you know ice cube and post malone and paul rudd all these other big actors who like didn't really do anything like you could have taken most of them out of the film and nothing would have changed and you didn't need them because like they were the most interesting characters i mean sure maybe like ice cubes the, the villain makes sense but like some of them like what did post malone do in the film necessarily other than sing i guess which character was he he was the he was the fish guy that was always singing oh that was him okay interesting
1: I didn't even recognize that was him. Oh, okay. Yeah. The other mutants that were in Superfly's family didn't get a lot of development. That's for Mm -hmm. sure.
0: You don't need them in in here. It was already a good film. Like, now all these extra characters are just kind of ruining it a little bit. So would
1: you take those characters out completely and you would just have Superfly as a villain by himself?
0: Or if they were trying to do something, like, have maybe seth rogan and john cena as like the two bad muscles for the villain but i don't think there was like seven of them or eight of them like those other mutant family you don't really need all of these characters like does it doesn't mm-hmm. i don't know that's what yeah. uh, i think
1: i could go either way on it I, I think there's something kind of nice about the fact that like by the end of the movie we had like a whole bunch of nice mutants we had like a an expanded mutant family now which solved some of the issues that the turtles were having with the fact that they're the only mutants that they know of besides their father so it was it was there was something kind of nice about it that i that i liked. but i also didn't feel like it was like fully like a great mix of things i think the animation was really cool yeah it, it felt very part of this like new wave of cgi animation which is very heavily inspired by the success of Mm spider-verse and i think it was cool i really liked it it had it was very funky i i really enjoyed how in in making the in making the mutants seem so pleasant looking they also inversely made all of the humans look (laughs) monstrous and like mutated yeah in in weird ways which like they amplified like human imperfection like people's faces were like corkscrewed in weird ways
0: (laughs) yeah they were hand drawing and telling the story in a way like it was like a very interesting style of like how everyone looked and everything like that um
1: mm-hmm it was, it was a bold choice. Like, I really enjoyed the animation. I thought the animation was the highlight of the whole thing. Yeah, definitely. But I think the story somehow just felt a little underwritten in some places and overwritten in others. I'm there with you.
0: I don't know if I gave a score yet, but I would give it a th- three out of four. I would give it a popcorn, where I think... It was good. I liked it. I enjoyed it. Again, we were talking about adaptions earlier and this whole episode's be about adaptions. But I think again you kind of it has the bones of a comic book story, right? Like getting power, wanting to be something, doing something, fighting villain kind of thing it has like the bones of a superhero movie and i think for that like story-wise you've seen it before but i think what makes it a three out of four what makes it a popcorn what expands your actual cinematic diet for this is like i think like the animation itself and like this like refreshing animation style in a way so i think I give it a three out of four, which is popcorn. And I say, yes, it does expand your cinematic diet. Chase, what do you think? I agree on both accounts. Oh, okay. You give it exactly the same score and everything?
1: I gave it a popcorn and I do think it expands your cinematic diet. Just as like a, a like a second popular example of this new animation style. Mm-hmm. Is there another one? I feel like there's another one. But this kind of new wave is very cool. It's I, I like this mashup of 2D plus 3D it gives it just like this whole new atmosphere very cool
0: yeah i like it cool what, what else you got
1: so i saw strays which was a comedy movie about a dog well several dogs but specifically one dog who was dropped off by his owner maybe a different state in this instance and he finds his way back to his owner in a hilarious and foul mouthed adventure It's <laughs> gotcha. definitely for adults uh-huh. Um, i see it,
0: it's stars will ferrell and jamie fox yes
1: all in all like i think there's some fun moments to it like it it's comical the dog acting was good i guess i mean it, it's hard to even say because like they cgi'd the mouths so that it would talk like a human but i don't know how much they did with like actual cgi versus like actual filming dogs like it's actually it's really really good cgi i guess you can't tell but you could definitely feel some of the limitations of the fact that they're filming dogs none of the shots felt particularly innovative or interesting they were just kind of pictures of dogs (laughs) like you know a two shot with two dogs a a single shot with with a dog (laughs) you know a dog from below a dog from above (laughs) it wasn't like a particularly nice looking film it's just like Pictures of cute dogs, the whole movie. If you like dogs, you'll probably enjoy this movie. And then mixed with kind of raunchy adult humor. (laughs) It was a hot dog for me because it didn't... It just... It wasn't quite what I wanted it to be. It wasn't very satisfying. And then as far as cinematic diet, I think it doesn't really expand your diet either. This movie is very much homeward bound, but what if it was not an adult film and the dogs are cussing constantly and... You know, and he finds his way to his owner, but his owner actually doesn't like him and it was intentionally trying to get rid of him. Like, that's the whole joke, right? Sounds good. Cool. So, you have something other than a film. I do. To,
0: to tell us about. What is it? So, I wanted to talk about some TV shows I watched. So, recently I watched the TV show, and I know you watched it too, because we've talked about it before, but this show called The Bear on fx it's a tv mm-hmm. show that has two seasons now i watched both seasons back to back and it's a great show i think funny at times it's very dramatic it's very interesting it's really intense i feel like it's one of the best tv shows i've watched in recent years and it, it really goes along the lines of this this show you know like food and tv and movies it's really good some episodes are really cool i hope they make a third season because i feel like the first two seasons were really great i think just like overall i would say that peanut m&m's all the way and second i would say expands your cinematic diet for sure like it's such a interesting show that like i feel like i have very little to say bad about it even like if you haven't watched it already then why? Why not? Why haven't you watched it?
1: Yeah, what's wrong with you? First question. Yeah. Which did you prefer, season one or season
0: two? I kind of like season two more, mainly because I feel like season one was just so crazy. Like, I was just felt so on the edge of my seat every episode that I was just like, oh my gosh, I don't think my body can handle this much, much more. Season two also had like very interesting episodes. Like, it didn't have just like the same kind of style, same storytelling as the first season. Like, there was like those, like the dinner party, like the the parent, like Thanksgiving dinner episode. And then they had like the one take episode, which season one had one too. But like, I think like season two had some very interesting episodes as a whole
1: yeah i i they do feel totally different which mm-hmm. is really unique for a tv show to to kind of experiment with their tone so much and i think that's that's one of the things that's so unique about fx as a network is they really let their artist experiment quite a lot like atlanta is from fx atlanta's yeah, yeah. another great tv show i don't know what it is about fx i think they are like an just very much artist-led, and they have come out with I think some of the best TV shows of the last decade by far.
0: What would you say, though, Chase? What is your score, and how, does it expand your cinematic? Theory? I would agree, I Peanut
1: M and M's, and yes, it expands it expands your diet. So cool. it's a four out of four. Nice um, score. Totally recommend. I, I I feel like I read somewhere that there was possibility of it not getting continued because of the strike.
0: All right, so what do you what else you got?
1: We might as well talk about dumb money. This movie is a adaptation of the story from during the pandemic of the GameStop trading. And this movie breaks that down and dissects it and talks about that whole situation. And unfortunately, I think it didn't really do a a great job of that it's a okay. biopic right so mm-hmm. i always talk about how i break biopics into kind of two categories wikipedia pages and narratives right actual narratives and this gotcha. one was one of the most boring wikipedia pages because <laughs> it's gotcha. all just about stock trades and the day-to-day minutiae of of stock trade stock trading and day trading and it was trying to make it entertaining in a sort of tongue-in-cheek way. And it just never quite is able to accomplish that. And I think, unfortunately, the narrative being one that is sort of unfinished still really made this movie suffer. I think maybe 10 years from now... Because this, this movie, this event, like, they took place like a year ago, right? So yeah, they're yeah. still very fresh. Mm-hmm. And the implications of them are not really known quite yet. And, and sort of the implications of this new world we're living in where you have these apps like Robinhood, Robinhood and day trading apps and Bitcoin and all these other things are not really known quite yet. But obviously like Bitcoin and... And some of these other things are already collapsing, <laughs> and that's somebody. Somebody's going to make a movie about all of those, I'm sure, and it'll be very mm-hmm. entertaining, I'm sure, or maybe not, because like this one, it it just it got so into the minutiae of it all, it forgot to tell a compelling kind of personal narrative. I kind of was hoping for more, because this is this movie is made by the director of Itanya, which I really oh, love that movie, and it has a lot of the same feeling. It feels like Itania at, at certain parts where it's like this kind of anti-establishment narrative mm-hmm. and you have these kind of figure who are not who are like kind of live in the gray area like the the main character is this kind of gray character right so like itania is this champion olympic ice skater type figure but also she's you know an every woman and also she's sort of a cheater and sort of involved in all of these illicit problematic things so you have a very similar figure in the main character or similar type of character in the main character of dumb money there was a lot to work with it could have been good but it ultimately was just kind of a hot dog and i don't think it expands anything because it just it 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 didn't do anything (laughs) the movie's so boring
0: gotcha okay Okay. it
1: sucks too because it's a very important story they're trying to tell here which is like how we are all being screwed by (laughs) by these big corporations
0: cool but i think i'm gonna save my last thing for the last conversation because i want to like segue that into the next part of the show all right do you want me to go to my last one then yeah so why don't you tell your last one and then i'll talk about my last one how about that all right
1: so i watched a haunting in venice which is an adaptation of an agatha christie novel also called a haunting in venice and it is a murder mystery slash kind of horror Directed by Kenneth Branagh, and it's pretty faithful to the original story, and that's kind of the problem with it, (laughs) unfortunately. And so the movie never becomes sort of like a true movie. It kind of feels like a play the whole time because it's never really cinematic, I don't think, in my personal taste. And so I gave it a hot dog and I said it does not expand your cinematic diet.
0: Gotcha. Are they trying to do some kind of like. Agatha Christie series of movies because like this is like the third one that also has what is his name Kenneth Branagan? yeah Br- 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 Kenneth Branagh Branagh
1: Brana. he's also the director and the writer we've met, You've him. met him
0: we've we've met met him oh that's right right we watched his uh the Irish one
1: <laughs> yeah that one was okay I, I like that movie a lot more than I liked Belfast. This series. Belfast. Belfast. Belfast was good. I don't know. I, I just don't think Kenneth Branagh's like most innovative director out there, unfortunately.
0: I think he's... I I agree with you.
1: There are certain things he does really well. Like I think he is a really good actor and I think he casts really well and I think he lets his actors give good performances. And I think that's kind of a, a common trend with like actors turn directors is they turn into like these directors that can get really good performances, but the movies themselves are not always the most cinematic. Clint Eastwood is kind of an example of this. Even though he makes... Some He has made some pretty great movies. A lot of his movies really heavily rely on the performances of the actors to tell all of, like, 100% of the story. They don't really rely on editing or directing or art direction or any of that stuff. All of that stuff feels very plain and
0: kind of by the book. Mm-hmm. I see it. Yeah, I get it. My same friend, actually, that I talked about earlier in this episode, he watched all three of those films, all, like those horror-esque films you mentioned, like uh, Talk to Me... It Lives Inside. It Lives Inside and Haunting Venice. And he said that Haunting Venice was good, but it wasn't a horror and it wasn't scary. Uh, especially kind of, it made you, it had that vibe, but it just wasn't really a good movie. Like it wasn't a good movie horror or scary movie but it was like a decent like an okay film was his his review i mean i'm giving his review because i haven't actually watched it but i feel like these movies of his i would be interested in watching because i definitely love a murder mystery and i think like that's what this is right that's where these films are it's a murder mystery so maybe i'll check it out looks like they're on hulu so i'll maybe just watch it on hulu and then and check it out but yeah now i guess the last the the granddaddy of it all. This is a TV show that you and I watched. That I feel like a lot of people have watched recently, um, and it's something that we've also talked about on this show before as well. So we're talking about the TV show, the live-action adaptation of One Piece. Yes. So, Chase, uh, what, do you, what do you think about what do you think about One Piece?
1: Oh my gosh, I had so many thoughts about it. Okay. It was it was quite a journey watching this live-action adaptation for me. So the first half of it, I was like not enjoying it at all. Maybe not even the first half, the first two episodes. It was just kind of not working. It just nothing matched what I wanted it to be. It was underwhelming and the characters were too cartoonish to like work for me in live-action context, which I knew was going to be the problem, right? Because mm-hmm. they're cartoon characters. They're not They're not even cartoon characters in, like, uh, as we understand cartoons now. They're, like, 1950s Disney characters. Yeah, yeah. So, like, it's such a bizarre thing to try and put into live-action. And I think if you want to see another version of that, you could watch the Popeye movie from Robin Williams. Williams. Yes, Robin Williams did a live-action Popeye movie, and it's very bizarre. But it's fun to watch. But it's very bizarre, and it has a lot of the same vibe. But as the show m- carried on, and somehow they picked up pace, they got a couple more characters into it. I think by the time they got, by the time they got Usopp into the uh, into the mix, it started like kind of working because they had enough like real people working. And mm-hmm. it wasn't all just kind of Luffy being this weird Bugs Bunny type character and kind of failing at it. Yeah, yeah. The rest of the series was really starting to work for me. And by the end, I wanted so much more. I wanted more. Give me more.
0: I'm so looking forward to season two. Two things. There are a few things here. One, this is, I feel like, one of the only anime live action adaptions that has gotten two seasons is that Mm -hmm. true i feel like i'm not sure but i feel like that makes sense especially in recent years
1: the only one i can think of that was an anime before or a manga before was the borderlands um series some also netflix alice in
0: borderlands oh yes yes
1: that one got at least a second season i think it might that one i think did
0: i think but that was that's like different though because i feel like that's Japanese show live action I feel like there is a distinction there like American live action for instance Rooney Kenshin's live action movies were actually really good but you know the ones that were like made in Japan and everything right like those are cool Or like, here's a good example, because you have, there was a both American and a Japanese live action movie for this, but like Death Note, there's the Japanese one, and then there was the Netflix or whatever live action one, and like Night and Day, like the Japanese Mm -hmm. one is way better than the American one, right? I feel like as Americans, we don't necessarily know quite how to adapt a Japanese anime into a live action TV show or movie, but... I will say that this One Piece TV show has been the closest thing we've got that is a good adaptation of a Japanese anime. And I agree with you that there was points that were just like, mm, I don't necessarily grow like, didn't it felt wonky. I feel like a lot of the shots were like, really up in your face and like this wide like fish-eyed lens maybe they they did that on purpose because fish-eyed lens were sea related but like
1: i think they did it to give it more of a cartoony aesthetic
0: I probably and that makes more sense than what I said, but still, like it, there was moments I'm like, why does it feel like it feels weird? But then again, it's like, how do you adapt One Piece and it not feel weird? Because One Piece in general is just such a strange anime. Sure, it's hugely successful. It's a great anime slash manga, and. You know, it's great, but I feel like it's such a difficult story to adapt into a lot of action without like trying to make it serious or some of like that. But they still were able to kind of keep some of that core essence of what makes One Piece special. Even though it's like not perfect at all, but it has been like interesting to see and I actually did enjoy it. And also, it's it's nice that, like, for instance, Yumi's never watched One Piece at all. So, like, for someone who's never watched any One Piece, and it's like, and they hear, oh, yeah, One Piece is a great show. There's a thousand episodes. Or rather, over a thousand episodes. Then they're like, dang, I don't know. I don't want to watch that. Now then they say, like, okay, there's one season of Netflix, and that covers about, like, the first 150 episodes or something of like that of the show. It's kind of like, okay, I can get into this a little bit. It's like, it tells... condensed story which still hits the major key points and you know i think some of the 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 like emotion from the show slash the comic is somewhat lost or like lost in the translation or lost in the adaptation but i feel like they still hit a lot of the key points and like definitely the people who who are the showrunners i think definitely understand or are somewhat of a fan of the of the series. And I think also it could have helped that the original author of the comic, the manga, did help out in like mm-hmm. s- overviewing the show because I think all those things definitely helped assist in making a, a good or a passable anime adaption.
1: Okay. I think you touched upon something that was really key in the success of One Piece mm-hmm. live action was it felt like the creators were actually fans of the source material, whereas I think a lot of times the people tasked with bringing a Japanese source material to an American audience are not necessarily fans. They might like the source material for what it was, but they're changing it so much to like make it more American that it ends up completely losing touch with its original source material, which is what's mm-hmm. so problematic, for instance, with the death note movie Mm -hmm. is that the death note movie has almost no relation to the story to the original death note story it's just it's a completely different story (laughs) i mean it's it's almost not even worth calling it death note other than there's like a couple the characters are are kind of the same yeah they have the same names
0: and they did say that chopper is one of their favorite characters and i'm also excited to see how that's gonna go down
1: we know who our our korea is gonna be. She's i heard been, like campaigning for it for yeah. like two years now. So that's anyway, cr- Jamie Lee Curtis. Yeah, yeah, ha- is trying to play korea who's an important character for the chopper, chopper storyline. Yeah, which is fun.
0: So mm-hmm. we'll see how
1: that goes. I, I I think she would do a really good job as korea She has the kind of similar vibe.
0: Fan yeah. casting sometimes yeah. really works. You know, they said that they want to do like. 12 seasons or something like that so you know we'll see how far they get if they do 12 seasons then maybe we can see Wano maybe, maybe we'll get to Wano yeah. by 12, season 12 that would be
1: interesting I'd love to see that actually makes this like a really perfect segue is one of the kind of questions about adaptations is how do you evolve it and how do you make it fit the medium that you're working in now and as Chopper's kind of backstory is that he ate a human human fruit and thus is a reindeer that can turn into a human maybe instead of living in this kind of hybrid form as he does in the manga more and the anime maybe he lives in more of a human state Mm -hmm. and maybe that's how they get around the cgi overload (laughs) that his character would absolutely be but it kind of would change his character a little bit right because part of his the fun of his character is that he's like sort of a monstrosity (laughs) I yeah but so we, like, wait
0: hold on we didn't give her her score yet though about this so what would you give it what would you give one piece what's your ranking
1: Ooh, i this is a hard one because i think on the actual just presented with what it was it's probably a hot dog in like it's actual filmmaking but i think it is a
0: popcorn
1: in my heart
0: <laughs> okay i'm actually going to give it popcorn Now, the reason why is because I felt like some points felt really cool or really interesting. Like they actually were thinking and trying to do something really well. Mm -hmm. And I think it was just like, it's a hard task to hit, a hard like objective to accomplish. But I think they had their heart and soul into it. And I think they did a good job where it made me want to watch the entire series. And I watched it within a few days. So I feel like, you know, deserves, in my opinion, the popcorn ranking. But does it expand your cinematic diet? I'm also going to say yes. And I think it's because for people who don't like necessarily anime or haven't really got into anime, I feel like this could be a starting off point.
1: I'm also on the fence. I think maybe yes, because it's sort of the successful anime adaptation that we've been trying to get for a very long time. So maybe it does. But I also think maybe it it's still not quite there yet as a successful standalone project. Cause I think that's where where even my ranking of it as a hot dog comes from is just I think if you're already a fan of One Piece, it's gonna be hands down a popcorn for you. But if you're not, I think it, it could be a slog to get through enough of it to really enjoy it and and, and watch the whole thing.
0: Yeah, and I think that will segue segue us to what we want to talk about mostly today is adaptations and what what that does that mean so let's take a little break here and let's jump into a discussion on an adaptation What, what do you think about that what do you think chase let's do it And welcome back to Filmmaker's Cookbook. I hope you enjoy your break like we did, right, Chase? Yep. Yeah. What break? Yeah, what break? Through That's the right. magic of editing. Magic of editing. <laughs> Anyways, so like we were talking about, we watched a bunch of things. And something specifically we watched recently really got us thinking about adaptations. And that was the One Piece live-action TV show. It's not
1: just that one, because there have been so many direct adaptations of works recently. Several of the ones we've talked about today were adaptations of either news stories turned into films, of history turned into films, of comic books turned into films, of Agatha Christie novels turned into films, and the list goes on. It seems the more and more we go into kind of this stage of Hollywood the more we're seeing remakes but also adaptations of other very popular works it's just the power of IP
0: which is very interesting and I kind of got us thinking about talking about adaptations and you know it's a very interesting thing because a lot of times it really works well like you know a lot of those movies we we talked about they kind of work you know like take Lord of the Rings for instance or something like that like a lot of those adaptations work really well However, the one thing that somehow seemed impossible in ways to adapt were Japanese manga or comic books to an American audience via either a TV show or movie. That also got us thinking that of it'll be a fun talk about the movie adaptation starring Nicolas Cage about screenwriter charlie kaufman who wrote the script about himself trying to adapt a book and that is
1: unadaptable yeah which is
0: unadaptable which kind of feels like adequate Of a movie to talk about for adapting Japanese animation and slash Japanese manga. I mean,
1: maybe we should talk about the history a bit of adapting Japanese manga and anime into movies. We could start with kind of one of the more famous examples, Dragon Ball, and what a disaster that was.
0: So can I start a little bit before that? Sure. So I will say that there have been... A lot of times actually in cinematic history where Japanese animation was not strictly directly adapted but have been influenced by Japanese animation and manga. For instance like Matrix was heavily influenced by several anime including like Ghost in the Shell and you know several others you know Akira possibly a little bit but you know like They weren't necessarily directly adapted. And those worked well. Like Matrix is a great film, right? But I think Mm -hmm. when it comes to directly adapting, that's when things start falling apart. And casing point, yes, Chase, you're right. You're right on the money there. The Dragon Ball live action movie. What a a disaster that was. It just removed
1: every part that everybody loved about the original series. And I'm not even personally like a Dragon Ball fan, but I'm sure I would be, but I've never gotten into it yet. Mm -hmm. (laughs) you know it's the americanized version of it that we got was just so clearly wrong that even a non-fan but just
0: somebody who's like cursory knowledge of it could tell how wrong it was i remember watching it in the movie theater when it first came out Mm -hmm. and i remember just being like what did I just watch? Like I was so excited. I was so hyped up to be like, wow, I can't believe this is going to be a Dragon Ball live action film. Like all my friends and I went to go see it. We're like, somehow trying to be like oh this one part was okay it was kind of cool kind of thing When they're like nah it's like we can't we can't protect this at all it's like it's just terrible mm-hmm.
1: when i was kind of doing some research on this topic about adapting stories to movies i ended up kind of realizing that there's sort of two camps there's there's more to it than that but there's two main large camps when it comes to adapting a work. There's faithful adaptations, like One Piece Live Action is trying to be a fairly faithful adaptation. Some things had to get changed, some things had to get like lost or reimagined to improve the script for this new format and for this... Shortened timeline, but generally speaking, it's the exact same story. It's very recognizable, and that's what I think is so popular about it right now is that it is very faithful. And for a series that is so beloved as One Piece is, a faithful adaptation is perfect. But the alternative to that is a complete reimagining. A still an adaptation, not a not like a totally different story. Like I I think you could argue, we talked about the matrix matrix was maybe more inspired by things like ghost and shell it's not really a reimagining of ghost and shell it's mm-hmm. really like an inspired by anime and inspired by comic books type of movie yeah yeah whereas something like oh brother where art thou the coen brothers movie is a direct reimagining of uh, Homer's Odyssey for instance and it takes Homer's Odyssey which is obviously a Greek tragic story epic story and turns it into this satirical midwestern America story with similar characters all the characters are relatively named something similar to their original inspirations and the general storyline is very heavily inspired by the original but I Obviously, it's not a Greek epic story anymore. It's whatever you want to call. Oh, brother, where art thou? Gotcha. Comedy drama.
0: Like how Ron, uh, the Akira Kurosawa film, is kind of like a reimagining of Shakespeare's King Lear.
1: Correct. Yes. And actually, like he's a great example of a director, Akira Kurosawa, who he took a lot of stories and adapted them into his own Japanese context, his own cultural context, and informed the stories with Japanese history and Japanese myth. Very often they're Shakespearean adaptations, like Ron is King Lear or... Throne of Blood is um, yeah, Macbeth. His Macbeth, yeah, exactly. And what's so funny about kind of how culture moves is... Star Wars is sort of very famously a adaptation of many of Akira Kurosawa's works into this 80s sci-fi universe, mm-hmm. which is really interesting too, if you think about it that way. It's another complete reimagining.
0: I thought you were going to say that it's a reimagining of Dune. I it, I, I think you could also say it's probably a little bit of that as well. Yeah, yeah. I think, I, as you are saying, it feels like it, it could go either way, but definitely, I definitely see it. I mean, there's so many nods to Akira Kurosawa in, in Star Wars that it definitely feels like a reimagining of a, a Kira Kurosawa film. Out of curiosity, what do you do you how do you feel about these two two types? Are you in a specific uh, camp?
1: I don't personally fall into either one. I I think there are times for both. Mm-hmm. I I think like One Piece is a great example where you want it to be pretty faithful. You don't really want a complete reimagining of a popular pop culture IP mm-hmm. like what happened with Dragon Ball. That was a pop culture IP. Nobody wanted a reimagining of it. They wanted the thing that they were paying for, which was the Dragon Ball. Versus, you know, taking something like, I don't know, Pride and Prejudice and reimagining it into all the variations of Pride and Prejudice. Like, can't even think of how many different variations there have been. This specific tale is somehow so ingrained in human life. It can be reconstituted and recontextualized over and over again into a new type of story over and over again. Which is great. That's the place you want reimagined stories. So like yeah, yeah. Oh brother Where Art Thou is a great example of reimagining Homer.
0: Yeah, I agree. I feel like that's kind of where a lot of these adaptations fall short, right? They just kind of didn't necessarily choose the right camp to, to be in. Yeah.
1: And well, I don't, I don't even know if it's always that cut and dry. I think that's true. That's true. If, if you're like, gonna do a reimagination, like, like say, take like a parody, like uh, Spaceballs is mm-hmm. a great reimagining of Star Wars, right? Or to go back to anime and manga, how many different versions of Yu Yu Hakusho have we gotten that are all the same kind of inspired
0: shonen manga? Is that what it's called? Mm-hmm. Um, it's also kind of like a an izekai reborn in another world in a way because he kind of dies at the beginning. So kind of yeah, there's like five a year now or something like that you know like something like crazy. Like it's just there's yeah. so many of those stories that is just like being retold
1: and the competition narrative too. Yes, yes, um, the
0: tournament dragon Dragon Ball as well.
1: Even One Piece. One Piece is a shounen and mm-hmm. now it's more of a, like an adventure show and not so directly related to Yu Yu Hakusho but it's now inspired so many other types of adventure anime and manga like i think fairy tale is very clearly like a one piece knockoff i don't know uh, that's too harsh but like it's <laughs> yeah, yeah. it's derivative ish of of one piece only substitute pirates and ships for Wizards and guilds.
0: Yeah, yeah. So you said something earlier that I wanted to touch upon. Especially, I wanted to point out a very recent one. Also, a Netflix show that came out that was also an anime adaptation was Cowboy Bebop. Did you watch that one?
1: I've watched a couple episodes of the actual anime. But I've not watched all of
0: it. It's really fun. It's a really good show. But don't not the Netflix version. But the the original, the original one. But I think it was a, it was like a, a very similar case to One Piece where the adaptation was very close to the original, but it definitely changed things. But I feel like there's very similar beats, especially like there's some, some episodes that are like very similar to the episodes in the anime. But I think it's just like, also apart from just being in these two, these two camps, there's something about i don't know the love of it or something else there's definitely other elements within this that also add to the overall quality of the show because like cowboy bebop the live action adap- adaption was also like pretty terrible i thought it was like okay i felt like for the first two episodes but opposed to one piece where as i kept watching it i was like i'm getting into it more and more cowboy bebop live action the more i watched it the more I wanted to leave especially like the last episode or two
1: yeah I I don't feel like it wasn't particularly engaging for me neither was like the original anime which I know is blasphemous to a lot of people I know it's a lot of people's like favorite anime getting back to the movie adaptation one of the things that they pointed out that I think oh I know what I was gonna say Yes. So you talked about faithfulness versus reimagining. And I think when you choose a camp, there are like pitfalls in either direction for faithfulness. If you aren't faithful enough, the audience will turn on you. And I think that's what probably happened with Cowboy Bebop. It's a good, really good way to put it, yeah. just wasn't faithful enough. And who knows where that line is drawn. Clearly One Piece managed to pull it together well enough to please the majority of the audience. And I think also One Piece had a lot of other things going for it too. Like the support of Echiro Oda giving his blessing. So that, in the eyes of the fans, I think went a long way to give it the leeway that it needed uh mm-hmm. in those certain moments where it felt kind of off and then also i think they've done like a really great marketing job of this in yes. building the actors personas and they chose actors really smartly too This is something that I think really sucks about adapting for faithfulness is if you pull an actor who everybody recognizes and has a very distinguished persona already and you try to tell everybody that this is a faithful adaptation, I think it can sometimes be a double-edged sword. You get... The fans of this actor but that actor has persona that isn't gelling with the character that they're trying to portray whereas with one piece pretty much everyone i think is an unknown actor except for maybe the guy that's playing Zoro. he's pretty well known in japan but i think pretty much everyone else is significantly less well known in doing so they're able to publicly craft an image like i know the guy who's playing Sanji is doing all of these like cooking videos and cooking demonstrations, mm-hmm. you know, adding to the like Sanjiness of him. Yeah, and yeah. so that's gone a long way to get people to accept him as their Sanji, which is really interesting from just a, a holistic perspective on on filmmaking is how much right. marketing and other things can impact. Like, I think they there's this. This video that I keep seeing where Sanji, this, the character of Sanji, the guy, the actor who plays Sanji. See, now I'm even doing it. I'm calling him Sanji because I don't know his actual name. It is Is cooking, the same. It, right, he just he's now Sanji to me, right? Yeah, yeah. Um, is cooking for the other castmates, and it just it feels like even though they're not in character in that moment, it still feels like a moment on one-piece ship a little bit which is so fascinating they very intentionally did that obviously and then going stepping back and completing the larger thought the pitfall that you can fall into when reimagining a story is not reimagining it hard enough i guess <laughs> so like brother where art thou is a really really strong reimagining with a ton of you know visual differences from the greek story ton of uh, even narrative differences and even a total total difference which makes Mm -hmm. it like its own unique thing
0: yeah what i'm getting here is that you you need to either choose one or the other and then put a lot of passion behind it because if you can't do one or the other like if you don't put enough passion into making it as close as possible then you'll fail and if you don't put enough passion into making it like unique in some other big way then you also will fail which is kind of a good segue to to adaption the movie because like that i feel like that is kind of the issue in the movie of of what like charlie coffin was having was like how does he adapt this thing that he kind of like it kind of you kind of feel like he doesn't necessarily super care about it he just like wants a challenge and wants to do something else like other than what he's been already been doing type this type of writing he's been doing let's kind of jump into this a little bit because it's it's kind of he they try to adapt this this book that it's supposedly unadaptable from his point of view and
1: sprawling new yorker shit is the uh the term that gets thrown around
0: yeah but i think the problem is his approach and i and it's kind of hard to even say this because charlie kaufman's approach to making the the movie or the adaption of the book is so interesting and but then i'm also i'm not talking necessarily about charlie kaufman the act the character in the movie who's played by Nicolas cage necessarily and that's like what i think is so cool about this movie this is my first time watching it actually and then doing research and everything on it but like it's such a it, there's like so many levels to this that i feel like It's kind of hard to just explain. Do you want to kind of maybe just go over quickly how how the movie works?
1: It's basically a meta adaptation. (laughs) That's the best way I can think of to describe it succinctly. The movie is a movie about Charlie Kaufman, the screenwriter, adapting the book, The Orchid Thief, into a movie. And at some point, the movie itself becomes the adaptation of the book and also not. It also becomes something more than that as Charlie Kaufman and his twin brother, which doesn't really exist, rest in peace, um, rest in peace, (laughs) Donald Kaufman, is that what his name is? Yeah. yeah. Try and adapt this unadaptable book, The Orchid Thief, which is based off of a real book. It's a real book and it's a real Mm -hmm. news story. And Susan Orlean, who's played by Meryl Streep in this movie, is a real person. And I came across a really funny article, by the way.
0: Okay, let's of hear Of her
1: talking about... Not, not to get distracted and on a side tangent again. Her son, her 16-year-old son, I guess, mm. wanted to watch the movie. And so she watched it with him at 16, which was a interesting journey for her and him, apparently. And she... Had to explain what was real and not real, which was a uh, which was funny for her, <laughs> and in the article that I read about it.
0: Yeah, I, I I read an article too about how whenever she goes to talk about her book or her books, everyone always asks her like how much of it's real and how much of it's it's fake, and she's like, "Isn't it kind of obvious?" I don't know like obviously oh, that that wasn't me kind of thing right but i also heard that he wrote the screenplay under his brother's name his twin brother's name his fake one and then he I had think that's it still in the credits is it really and then he was dedicated it was dedicated to his brother
1: yep that's that's <laughs> such a funny thing donald kaufman is mm-hmm. the one who got nominated for the
0: academy award for this movie not that's charlie right. goffman yeah this movie like i think by itself is just kind of like oh interesting but i think what makes it amazing is just how so many layers it is that's like you're just thinking like oh this is him like even like the halfway into the thing when he actually starts getting into the groove and like really enthusiastic about writing he's like writing the scenes that you watch the beginning of the film because he's mm-hmm. like writing the script for the film that you're already watching and it's just such a trip it's such a like it's a mind fuck it's crazy ride yes definitely yeah. i definitely was worth also just out of the, like side tangent here Worth watching if you haven't watched it already. Very much worth watching.
1: None of what we said is even remotely coming close to spoiling any of it for you. It's unspoilable, I think. It's It's just a trip the whole time. And that's kind of Charlie Kaufman's calling card. All of his movies are very trippy like that. Even the moment in this movie where we see him finishing his previous movie being John Malkovich yeah so trippy and weird I thought it was like it starts to feel like a documentary at times it's just so bizarre yeah it's it's that's true do you think adaptation given all we've talked about is actually an adaptation or is it something else
0: it it definitely falls in the reimagining of us of something category of this And I would say that it definitely succeeded. I think it definitely did a good job. From there, I just want to say, maybe it's time to jump into food, because I feel like let's just break it down a little bit and and turn it into a dish. Yes. Welcome back. Let's jump into the flavors of this movie. So first of all, I want to just go over what the flavors are. Okay. So we have surprise is spicy. Happy is sweet. Sad is salty. Fear is bitter. Disgust is sour and anger is umami or savory. So for this film, it is really difficult. I feel like to break it down, but I think that surprise or spicy is Definitely a leading flavor in this there's definitely anger like umami and some sadness some saltiness I don't know if there's like maybe tertiary flavors are more fear and disgust But I think surprise and sad and anger are like surprise is number one for me And then happy and anger are like number two and then three is fear and disgust for me I don't know what, what do you think
1: so not a lot of sad
0: it's sad But I think like in the end it feels victorious in a way or like it feels like I understand that feeling like when you write something or when you work on a project and you like are like frustrated and sad and upset about it but then like once it's over and you like get over that hill you know you feel like victorious and like you achieve something so i wouldn't say it's like number one is sad it is technically a sad ending but when you're thinking about how he wrote it and made up those things because it would be more interesting for the film i think it's just like also kind of funny and and just like interesting so it's kind of hard to place these flavors but i think that's kind of where i'm gonna stick it i think it's like secondary sadness but it's not like the main flavor i'm tasting here
1: that was where i was falling too is i i feel like every scene has multiple emotions all at the same time i'll be surprised at what's happening on screen disgusted by humanity of these characters disgusted by individual character actions i'll be afraid for the characters about what's happening on screen i'll be angry that oh i'm about to be like punked again because mm-hmm. this movie like kind of punks you a little bit throughout yeah. it and i'm happy because i'm enjoying the ride like it's it's i'm experiencing all of the flavors okay so all let at me... once the yes. entire time i
0: agree i agree i will say this though and then this is where my pitch is i kind of thought lasagna okay Or like a deep dish pizza or something like that that has like layers or something.
1: Mm, Interesting.
0: Because there's so many layers to this film. And I feel like each layer has like a surprise to it. So like maybe it's kind of like a lasagna that has like eight or nine layers to it. But each layer has like a very like a hidden door behind it. Or I was thinking also of like possibly like a calzone that has like another calzone inside of it i don't know like something like weird like that you know like like a lasagna that's inside a calzone or something like that um something (laughs) crazy i feel like but also there's so many layers here so i feel like layered something felt good and i feel like lasagna sorry really quickly lasagna has a lot of those flavors like you have spice you could have spicy you can have sweet salty bitter sour umami you can kind of have a mixture of everything so i feel like it maybe fit, but It was kind of difficult, I felt like.
1: I like this idea of the layers and then each layer being, like, slightly different. Maybe we could have, like, a spicy layer, a a sweet layer, a salty layer, a bitter layer, a sour layer, and an umami layer. And you're not really sure if you like the taste, but you're really intrigued by it. (laughs) Yeah. Like, it's so much flavor that it's all overwhelming, but But... you kind of dig the
0: experience. Yeah, and and it somehow tastes good.
1: It's, yeah, it somehow tastes good, and it somehow is fulfilling. It's got to be, like, colored. Like, each layer has to be, like, colored differently. I, I don't know. There's so yeah, many yeah. ways you could I take I was thinking this.
0: about it's... doing, like, what we can do is maybe each layer of the pasta is, like, a different color. We can, like... Do something mm-hmm. where we can have like maybe like a beet flavored slash colored lasagna so there's like one like a purple reddish kind of color we can do like a squid ink pasta where it's just like black or something like that you know so like it can yeah. be like different layers and then like everything in that layer is maybe like a similar color with like that's that flavor so you know maybe like one layer is like a very umami savory pa- impact layer of like tomatoes and mushrooms and different things and then we have like a more sweeter
1: there's sweet cheeses right like each layer is like a cheese right Mm -hmm. that's how lasagna works or it's like a cheese and tomato sauce right
0: uh yeah i mean you can definitely have it different ways for sure but i would say that it's like usually like pasta some tomato something and then more pasta then maybe some cheese and then something but i guess like the t- tomato thing could be d- anything like you could have like a veggie tomato thing uh, like a mixture of veggies and tomato sauce or you can have like a beef one you know and, and kind of layer those like meaty or tomatoey or something i've actually had a, a lasagna the other day that was very interesting where it was like a vegan or sorry gluten-free and vegan so each layer of lasagna was actually cabbage, okay, and, and then like there was like you know tomato sauce and then like smaller chopped up veggie to make look like meat, and then there was like you know cabbage layers of cabbage, and you it looks just like a piece of lasagna, but you cut into it and you eat it, and you're like, oh that's interesting, that's that's just cabbage kind of thing, you know.
1: I have to say that sounds dreadful. It actually,
0: but... it tasted pretty good, actually, better than better than it sounds for sure. But maybe that's like some of the approach we should be taking here, where it doesn't necessarily sound like it would be good, but it definitely <laughs> it, it's well balanced and it 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 packs a, f- a nice flavor to it. But it's also kind of strange.
1: It's got to be strange, and I, I the other thing I like about it is like it's got to be like an artisan crafted thing a little bit. When you see it, it's got to be sort of refined and perfected because this movie is so so intentional well-crafted yes yeah yeah and so like i i like the the visual of this weird little lasagna like a cube of lasagna sitting on a white stark white plate with just like a random orchid flower placed to the left of it.
0: Nice. I actually really like that. The plating and everything. That sounds really cool. And it's just
1: tempting you. There's just and there's like a little fork to the right tempting you. Do do you want it? Are you sure you really want it? Just mm-hmm. like those orchids tempting that crazy white guy. <laughs> yeah, I, I like this. I like this idea a lot. Cool. I I kind of I was thinking like you could go like really colorful with it and make it like a rainbow lasagna, but that might not be actually what we want. I I I'm wondering about like Maybe picking one color and...
0: Variations of that same color? Yeah.
1: So like it it starts off as like plain white tan pasta and then gets more and more beet red the lower down you go or something like that. So it's like a gradient. Mm. That's what I'm thinking about. So it looks like artisan. They had to painstakingly create each layer of noodle slightly differently just to get this
0: effect. And then like each portion of it, as you go higher or lower, I guess, also follows that same gradient. So you would think that like, they would have to make a sauce or something like that, but they would have to make like six different sauces or something mm-hmm. like to make each one a very distinct flavor and color. Yes. Yeah, that sounds great. Let's do that. And I love that I like- love this. the How it's like kind of a, a little piece, perfectly like symmetrical, you know, perfectly mm-hmm. cut piece on the center of, or partially off center or something on this plate next to an, an orchid sounds amazing
1: yeah and you can tell it was crafted by neurotic chef hands <laughs> just like yeah. adaptation was crafted by neurotic screenwriter hands uh it's just it, I, I think this is like a one of our better comparisons actually
0: i'm really glad we got there We hope you enjoyed and let us know what you think if you think that this perfectly crafted plate of lasagna best represents the film adaption. And if not, let us know what you think best represents this film. And also let us know what you think about the other movies we talked about today and everything else. You can find us on instagram twitter or
1: any of your favorite podcasting apps if yes you're not already have a favorite if you're shopping around for podcasting applications listen to us there as well listen, listen. to us multiple times on we that note <laughs>
0: <laughs> well i hope you enjoyed we'll catch you in the next episode of Maker's cookbook till then see everyone
1: bye